holy sweet mother of God shit. Hello, hello, hello. What, what, the, what the hell are you doing? I hope no one's eating dinner. The next best thing, every Monday night from 10 until midnight on Radio Free Brooklyn. Fun for everyone except for dear Jesus. Something like that. Holy sweet mother of God, it is 10 o'clock on a Monday night, so you know what that means. Is it time for your favorite show ever? No! But it is time for the next best thing. I'm your host, Jonathan B. Lerner, keeping you company every Monday night from 10 until midnight right here on Radio Free Brooklyn. Can you hear me? One second. Testing. One, two, three. Are we on? Great. Anywho, let's do the housekeeping that we always have to take care of. Let's just get it out of the way right off the top. You can tweet at us. We are at Next Best Radio. That's at Next Best Radio. Or go ahead and like us on Facebook. Follow us on Facebook. A lot of stuff gets posted on our Facebook page, stuff that we talk about in any given episode, information, links to pertinent sites, all that stuff. Usually goes up on our Facebook page. That's facebook.com slash NBT radio. Also, if you're really feeling like you want to go all out and write it's more than 140 characters, more than something you'd feel comfortable posting on a Facebook wall. You can always feel free to send us an email. We are at nextbestthing at radiofreebrooklyn.org. And lastly, we do ask you to remember that we are fully listener and producer supported. If you like what you hear on Radio Free Brooklyn, if you like what you hear tonight, please consider going to our website, going to this show's page, and donating a little something something to keep us in business if you like what you hear tonight well a donation could ensure that you will get to hear more next week and the weeks after that uh if you feel so inclined you can go to rfb.nyc slash nbt again that's rfb.nyc slash nbt oh man that was exhausting wasn't it it was for me i'm sure it was for you too so that's all the housekeeping I can think of right now. If I've forgotten anything... Nobody cares. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. Good. You're listening to The Next Best Thing. Here's what's making news tonight. All right, we're going to talk briefly about the Democratic primary debates. So, briefly, night one. First of all, CNN made some choices that were good. They improved the debates in certain ways. For example, they didn't allow audience clapping or responses. That was a good choice. They also um, were stricter about the rules and enforcing the rules, which I thought was good. It wasn't a free-for-all. Having said that, they also made a few other choices to completely wipe out the good choices. For example, taking the first 10 to 12 minutes to introduce the candidates and sing the national anthem like we were at some kind of fucking Super Bowl or, or sporting event. What the hell was the point of that other than just taking up time? Tr truly. I mean, it was, it was, I felt like I was watching SNL. I mean, it was ridiculous, just ridiculous. And then there were some other things that pissed me off, and we'll talk about those as we um, breeze through the highlights here. Okay, so one quote that I couldn't find audio for but that I fucking loved came from Elizabeth Warren. I thought she had an excellent night, really, the best performance of hers I've seen. Her quote was, 
It was in response to a bunch of people bickering and really attacking each other in a way that was not productive. She stopped them and said, quote, let's be clear about this. We are the Democrats. We are not about trying to take health care away from anyone. That's what the Republicans are trying to do. And we should stop using Republican talking points on each other. Amen. Thank you, Elizabeth Warren. Couldn't have said it better myself. Not only did she say that in the debate, but immediately following the debate, she was making an appearance, I believe, on MSNBC, and someone asked a very pointed question meant to do nothing but get her to attack another Democrat, and she didn't take the bait. She said exactly that. She said, I'm not here to attack other Democrats. That's not what I'm going to do. That's not what I'm about. That is, I mean, if only the other 16,000 candidates could take a cue from her. Jake Tapper. Now, in general, I don't mind Jake Tapper. I think he's a decent journalist and does a nice job on CNN. He, I mean, I, I cannot tell you how much I wanted to bitch slap him during those debates. Him, I've seen him do this before, but repeatedly asking candidates questions like, now, look, would you, just to be clear, would you raise taxes on the middle class to pay for Medicare for all? Now, he said that probably, I don't know, 19 times, even while mentioning in the same breath that those tax hikes would be offset by lower insurance premiums. That was obnoxious. That came off as badgering. And he knew, I mean, he knew damn well that the middle class people weren't going to be taking a hit financially and that any increase in taxes would be smaller than the amount saved in medical bills. But he clearly just wanted to hear them say the words, yes, I will raise taxes. It was unnecessary. It was just, it was disingenuous. It was obnoxious. And that wasn't his only infraction. We'll talk about another in a few minutes. I have this in my notes and I'll just read it verbatim. It says, Beto, poor, sweet, handsome Beto. You should be running for the Senate, but at this point, you probably couldn't compete in that race either. This hasn't gone well for you, dear Beto. Sweet Beto. Yeah, that's, that, that's about right. I stand by that. Another great quote came from the South Bend, Indiana mayor, Pete Buttigieg. It is time to stop worrying about what the Republicans will say. Look, yes. if, if, if it's true that if we embrace a far-left agenda... They're going to say we're a bunch of crazy socialists. If we embrace a conservative agenda, you know what we're, they're going to do? They're going to say we're a bunch of crazy socialists. So let's just stand up for the right policy. Go out there and defend it. Hell yes. It's way past time we stop caring about what Republicans are going to say because it's true. It doesn't matter what we do. It doesn't matter what we say. Republicans are going to respond the exact same way. So fuck them. Fuck them. Really. What else? What else? Uh, I thought Amy Klobuchar had some nice moments, like this one, where when asked about gun violence, she didn't hesitate to call out the single most vile culprit. This isn't just about a system, or it's not just about words. This is about the NRA. I sat across from the President of the United States after Parkland because I've been a leader on these issues and have the 
bill to close the boyfriend loophole. And I watched and wrote down when nine times he said he wanted universal background checks. The next day he goes and he meets with the NRA and he folds. She goes on to say, I will not fold. She did not mince words. It is the NRA. They are the single most vile culprit here. However, I would say that Republicans who bow down to them are a close second. I thought Bernie had an okay night. Um, yeah, I thought he had an okay night. He did his shtick that he always does, but he did it in a way that it was at least more informative and it came off as stronger. Here's a moment between him and John Hickenlooper. I, I think if we're going to force Americans to make these radical changes, they're not going to go along. You uh, Throw your hands up, but you, right. you haven't... Imp- <laughs> But you haven't implemented the plans. Us governors and mayors are the ones that we have to pick up all the pieces when suddenly the government's supposed to take over all these responsibilities and there's no preparation. The details aren't worked. You can't just spring a plan on the world and expect it to succeed. Now, Bernie went on to say, now, look, John, I was a mayor. Okay, I was a mayor. I know how that works. And that's good. That's a good response. And frankly, the argument that John Hickenlooper was making is very valid. I mean, a lot of the ideas that Bernie, you know, spouts, and I don't say that as a derogatory, I don't mean spouts like, oh, he's just spitting out these stupid ideas, but it's, you know, his stump speech about Medicare for all and the billionaires and millionaires, they're going to pay taxes and free college, blah, blah, blah. A lot of those are kind of generic and need to be explained in terms of how it would happen. It's not so simple. And I thought that was good. This was a good night. This was a good exchange of ideas and whatnot. You got a better idea of what they were for and how they would implement what they want to implement. That's the whole point of these debates. Elizabeth Warren, as I said, she had a great night. However, there were a couple of times when I thought, I mean, well, let's look at this example of her totally dodging a question. Senator Warren, you make it a point to say that you're a capitalist. Is that your way of convincing voters that you might be a safer choice than Senator Sanders? No, it is my way of talking about I know how to fight and I know how to win. What? Yeah, (laughs) what? How you say you're a capitalist. I honestly, I think it probably is her way and a perfectly fair one. It is probably her way of distinguishing herself from Bernie. People do tend to lump them together, and it was not a not a horrible question. She could have just answered it, but instead she said, no, I call myself a capitalist because I fight. Huh? Okay, so that was funny. But like I said, she also had a number of really nice moments, like this one with John Delaney. So I think Democrats win when we run on real solutions, not impossible promises. When we run on things that are workable, not fairy tale economics. You know, I don't understand why anybody goes to all the trouble of running for president of the United States just to talk about what we really can't do and shouldn't fight for. Nice. I mean, yeah, she had a really good night. Now, I mentioned Jake Tapper. I mentioned him being irritating as all hell. Here's a good, I mean, I mentioned the question he just asked incessantly. He just was badgering them, trying to get them to say that they would raise taxes, which, by the way, Bernie did call out. 
after a while, Bernie just said, you know, that is a Republican talking point, And he was right. He was absolutely right that it was a talking point, a Republican talking point, And he was right to call him out. Here's another annoying question. Senator Klobuchar, at the beginning of the night, you said you're going to hear a lot of promises on the stage. And previously, you have said when asked about your primary opponents, quote, a lot of people are making promises and I'm not going to make promises just to get elected. Who on the stage is making promises just to get elected? What the fuck kind of comment is that? What what is the point of that question? Honestly, what substance, what real needed information can be gained from that question? All the only point of that question is to get her to fight with other Democrats. Obnoxious, obnoxious. So that was night one. I thought night one was pretty successful. I really did. I thought you learned a lot. I thought you saw a lot of the candidates have good moments, even the ones who have a 0% chance of getting the nomination. I thought John Hickenlooper and John Delaney, I thought they made a perfectly valid case for their more centrist views. I really did. Night two. Night two, I don't know what happened. I really don't know what happened. Night one was, I felt, substantive and a good exchange of ideas. Night two was pure attacks. It was, uh, it was like a cage match, mainly against Joe Biden, but also against Kamala Harris. And they also, it was the same moderators. However, they didn't ask a single question on the subject of gun control, which I thought was outrageous. Joe Biden, I felt like he came out more prepared and stronger. I'm running for president to restore the soul of this country. You know, uh, we have a president, as everybody's acknowledged here, every day is ripping at the social fabric of this country. But no one man has the capacity to rip that apart. It's too strong. We're too good. Just look at this stage, made up of very diverse people from diverse backgrounds, went on to be mayors, senators, governors, congresswomen, members of the cabinet, and yes, even a vice president. Mr. President, this is America, and we are strong and great because of this diversity, Mr. President. Yeah, I thought he did much better. He still had some problems, which we'll talk about. Uh, but he and Harris, uh, Kamala Harris, they went at it quite a bit. I mean, she didn't lighten up any from the first debate, and he... But he was more prepared for it, and he was, I thought he did a much better job at countering her attacks. Here they are going head-to-head on health care. Vice President Biden's campaign calls your plan, quote, a have-it-every-which-way approach. What do you say to that? Well, they're probably confused because they've not read it. Anytime someone tells you you're going to get something good in 10 years, you should wonder why it takes 10 years. If you notice, there's no talk about the fact that the plan in 10 years will cost $3 trillion. You will lose your employer-based insurance. And in fact, you know, this is the single most important issue facing the public. Absolutely. Unfortunately, Vice President Biden, you're just simply inaccurate in what you're describing. The reality is that our plan will bring health care to all Americans under a Medicare for All system. Our plan will allow people to start signing up on the first day. Babies will be born into our plan. plan, no matter how you cut it, costs $3 trillion dollars when it is in fact employed. Number one, 10 years from now, after two terms of the senator being president, after her time. Secondly, it will require middle class taxes to go up, not down. Thirdly, it will eliminate employer-based insurance. And fourthly, 
what happens in the meantime. So I have to say, you know, I like Kamala Harris a lot. I think she's strong. I think she's smart. She's forceful. She makes, you know, she makes valid, good cases for whatever she's advocating. Her health care plan sucks. I mean, it's, I mean, it was shockingly bad. <laughs> 10 years, 10 years to implement something that would have to be started from scratch. Listen, if you have a house that is in dire need of some renovations and repairs, make the renovations, make the repairs. Don't bulldoze it and start all over. It's going to cost more. It's going to take longer. We have Obamacare. It's not perfect. It's not even, you know, the Republicans are doing all they can to make it as weak as possible. But it's there. Build on it. Use it. I, I mean, her plan sucks. And I thought Joe Biden did a very effective job at, at laying that out. However, it wasn't just Kamala Harris attacking him on health care. And so he had to respond to virtually everyone. And I thought he did it very well. This is not a Republican talking point. The Republicans are trying to kill Obamacare. Obamacare took care of 20 million people right off the bat, 100 million people with pre-existing conditions. And in fact, what we got is a public option that in fact would allow anybody to buy in. No one has to keep their private insurance. They can buy into this plan. And if they don't have any money, they'll get in free. So this idea is a bunch of malarkey, what we're talking about here. The fact of the matter is, the fact of the matter is, that there will be a deductible. It will be a deductible in their paycheck. Bernie acknowledges it. And I don't know what math you do in New York. I don't know what math you do in California. But I tell you, that's a lot of money. And there will be a deductible. The deductible will be out of your paycheck. Yeah. Let's talk about math. Let's talk about math. Let's talk about the fact that the pharmaceutical companies and the insurance companies last year alone profited $72 billion dollars. And that is on the backs of American families. One thing I have to point out, uh, Joe Biden, again, he he doesn't this format of having very regimented times, short spurts were uh, short times in which you're supposed to speak and trying to fit a shitload of information into what, 30 seconds. That's just not good for him. A, he's a thousand years old and B, that's never been good for him. You know, like. It's just some people's minds aren't good at working like that, and his isn't. So I and I say that because he, even when he would be making good points, like in these clips I've been playing, he kept saying that it was going to cost three trillion dollars. That's inaccurate. It would cost thirty trillion dollars, and he corrected himself a number of times. But it's important to point that out. Okay, so Julian Castro, he was he served with Biden in Obama's cabinet. Here's an example of, in my opinion, Julian Castro, who I think is pretty much aligned with Obama and Biden. Here he is moving way too far left. In this case, it's on border security. You think it should no longer be a crime to cross the U.S. border illegally? The only way that we're going to guarantee that we don't have family separations in this country again is to repeal Section 1325 of the Immigration Nationality Act. That is the law that this president, this administration is using to incarcerate migrant parents and then physically separate them from their children. Yeah, that's incorrect. That's incorrect. And, it, you know, come on now. That's not the only way we're going to stop that from happening. It's never happened before. Why? Because we've never had a raging psychopath as the president. We happen to have one now, and that's unusual. 
I can't imagine any other president would even think to do such a thing, hence why they never have. So to say that we need to repeal that law and make basically what he's advocating there, and I hate to use this term because it's a it's a Republican term, he's advocating open borders, which, come on now, is just it's not practical. It's not, come on. Joe Biden pointed out how he had changed his tune, by the way. The secretary, we sat together in many meetings. I never heard him talk about any of this when he was the secretary. Cory Booker, who, you know, won me over a while ago with his strong stance on guns, he pissed me off a lot. He started this debate by saying how Democrats should not be attacking each other, how the person most benefiting from these attacks was Donald Trump and he wasn't going to participate. He then, in the next breath, attacked Biden viciously. Oh, a couple things. First of all, Mr. Vice President, you can't have it both ways. You invoke President Obama more than anybody in this campaign. You can't do it when it's convenient right. and then dodge it when it's not. Since the 1970s, every major crime bill, every crime bill, major and minor, has had his name on it. Now, we've talked about the crime bill before. People don't really know what was in it. It did a lot of good things. It also was written and implemented in 1994. It's a different time. There's a different context, and it matters. Joe Biden did not write it alone. Joe Biden did not implement a bill that was meant to harm minorities. Give me a fucking break. And I, we don't have time to go into it right now because we're on a strict schedule, but it's a stupid argument to make. Here they are debating crime. And I think this was a terrible way to go about it. Joe should have defended the crime bill and explained what I just kind of explained. Since 2007, I, for example, tried to get the crack powder cocaine totally d disparity, totally eliminated. In 2007, you became mayor. You had a police department that was, you went out and you hired Rudy Giuliani's guy. You en engaged in stop and frisk. You had 75% of those stops reviewed as illegal. And if you want to compare records, and frankly, I'm shocked that you do, uh, I am happy to do that. There was nothing done for the entire eight years he was mayor. There was nothing done to deal with the police department. I just, I just did not like Cory Booker's way of going about that. I hated those dumbass lines. You're, you're sipping the Kool-Aid and you don't even know the flavor. Okay. I mean, don't you shut your fucking mouth. I mean, it just bothered me. It really bothered me. Uh, so Kamala Harris and Joe Biden, they went at it a few times, but she was attacked hardcore by, of all people, Tulsi Gabbard. Now, Senator Harris says she's proud of her record as a prosecutor and that she'll be a prosecutor president, but I'm deeply concerned about this record. She put over 1,500 people in jail for marijuana violations and then laughed about it when she was asked if she ever smoked marijuana. She blocked evidence. She blocked evidence that would have freed an innocent man from death row until the courts forced her to do so. She kept people in prison beyond their sentences to use them as cheap labor for the state of California. And she fought to keep cash you, bail system in place that impacts poor people in the worst kind of way. Now, I haven't actually looked at each and every one of those claims. They sound like they could be a little dodgy or maybe exaggerated. I'm not sure. But the point is, who saw that coming? I mean, Tulsi Gabbard, kind of an obscure person on that stage. She went hard after Kamala Harris. And I can say this, though. The point she made about 
putting people in jail for marijuana, then going on The Breakfast Club and laughing about how she, in fact, smoked marijuana, that did happen. Just saying. That did happen. Okay, the last thing I want to talk about is Kirsten Gillibrand, my senator from New York. I cannot stand Kirsten Gillibrand, and um, I, it's, I felt that way for a very long time. You see, here's the thing. People naturally tend to think of politicians as being kind of slimy and disingenuous. I get it. I think people like Kirsten Gillibrand are the ones who feed into and often confirm that characterization. A friend of mine and I have been having this ongoing back and forth for a while about the whole Al Franken situation. You know, the severity of the allegations, how it was handled, how he was treated, where it left us as Democrats, that kind of thing. A couple of days ago, he finally just asked me straight up, you know, why are we still talking about this? Why is it so important to you? And honestly, I think what bothers me most about that whole situation is how it just truly exposed how callous and cynical politicians are, all of them. And Gillibrand, in my opinion, is among the worst. I mean, this here's a woman who had an A rating from the NRA, an A rating from the NRA as recently as 2012. I mean, she co-sponsored bills to roll back restrictions on guns in Washington, D.C., and to limit disclosure of gun trace information by law enforcement. And now she's out there trying to say she's a champion for common sense gun reform? I mean, give me a break. She, she, went out on, she went out on the campaign trail in 2009 calling for more deportations. Now she wants to abolish ICE. I mean, the list goes on and on. And I don't think she led the charge to get Al Franken to resign because she really believed he was guilty of rank misconduct and felt he should lose his job. I think she did it because she wanted to run for president calling herself a champion for women. And it was a similar self-serving strategic choice she made to pull this absurd op-ed written by Joe Biden out of nowhere, probably written in 1863. She brought it up in the debate. I mean, it was as egregious and transparent as any political move you'll ever see. I think we have to have a broader conversation about whether we value women and whether we want to make sure women have every opportunity in the workplace. And I want to address uh, Vice President Biden directly. Um, when the Senate was debating uh, middle class affordability for child care, he wrote an op-ed. He voted against it. But what he, he wrote an op-ed was that he believed that uh, women working outside the home would, quote, create the deterioration of family. Um, he also said that women who were working outside the home were, quote, avoiding responsibility. And I just need to understand, as a woman who's worked my entire career as the primary wage earner, as the primary caregiver. In fact, the second, my second son, Henry, is here. And I had him uh, when I was a member of Congress. So under Vice President Biden's analysis, am I serving in Congress, resulting in the deterioration of the family because I had access to quality, affordable daycare? I just want to know what he meant when he said that. Okay, great. First of all, the way she started that, I, I want to address Vice President Biden directly. Those words are directly, taken directly from Kamala Harris in the first debate. And she got a bump in the polls, and so Kirsten Gillibrand went ahead and said the same thing and pulled out something else kind of random, way more random than the first one. And frankly, Joe Biden gave her an honest and very legitimate response. That was a long time ago, and here's what it was about. It would have given 
people making today $100,000 a year tax break for childcare. I did not want that. I wanted the childcare to go to people making less than $100,000, and that's what it was about. As a single father, who in fact raised three children for five years by myself, I have some idea what it cost. Okay, now, I can't imagine Kirsten Gillibrand expected Joe Biden to give such a concise, thorough, solid answer. When he did, it would have behooved her to think, oops, okay, I'll drop this. But no, she was bound and determined to get in this dig, this political attack. And so she persisted. But Mr. Vice President, you didn't answer my question. What did you mean when you said when a woman works outside the home, it's resulting in, quote, the deterioration of family? And that we are avoiding, these are quotes. It was the title of the op-ed. And that just causes concern for me because we know America's women are working. Are you serious? Seriously, are you fucking serious with this bullshit? I couldn't believe she brought it up. I was even more stunned that she persisted with it. As I said, it was as obvious and as egregious as a bullshit move, political move you'll ever see. And frankly, he answered her the first time. And then he very rightly called her out for it, called out and exposed her hypocrisy. The fact of the matter is, I don't know what's happened. I wrote the Violence Against Women Act, Lily Ledbetter. I was deeply involved in making sure there the equal pay amendments. I was deeply involved in all these things. I came up with the It's On Us proposal to see to it that women were treated more decently on college campuses. You came to Syracuse University with me and said it was wonderful. I'm passionate about the concern making sure women are treated equally. I don't know what's happened except that you're now running for president. So Exactly. Exactly. I thought Joe Biden had a very good night. No, I am not, you know, working for his campaign. I don't even know that I'm supporting him right now. I mean, honestly, I'm really not. To be honest, I have I've been very impressed by a number of candidates. But I think I think we should point out and give credit where it's due. Having said all that, he also had some uh, grandpa moments. Like this one, which was hilarious and, sadly, the last thing he said of the night, so quite memorable. I mean, this was hysterical. I, As everyone was going out and giving their closing statements, everyone, and I mean everyone, seemed to end with giving out their website. And if you agree with me, and if you think we should fight for this, and if you think, Baba, go to my website, go to KamalaHarris.com, go to CoreyBooker.org, and Joe, a little confused... He ended with this. If you agree with me, go to Joe 30330 and help me in this fight. Thank you very much. What? (laughs) (laughs) I mean that. Oops. Okay. Grandpa. Hey, he is. Look, he's a thousand years old. Give him a break. All right. Give him a break. Anywho, that was how I felt about the debate. It needs to be, they need to, I want them, I would be very happy seeing six to eight people on stage for the next one. I know it's not going to happen. I wish it would. You're listening to the next best thing. You're listening to the next best thing. Ding, 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 dong. But in all seriousness, folks, and I mentioned this at the beginning of every show, but I don't do it with any urgency behind it because a i hate asking people for money and b 
it's just not too much fun to talk about. But the truth of the matter is, as a community-run radio station, we do rely on help from all the hosts, all the community members, and listeners, listeners like you. If you have a favorite show at Radio Free Brooklyn, and I'm sure you do, whether it's mine, whether it's uh, Everybody Plays the Fool, which comes on right before me, or Mood Indigo, which comes on right after me, or any of the other great shows that we offer, I guarantee you a lot of work goes into that show. A lot of work goes into all of our shows, even shows you probably hate. Who knows? I mean, different strokes for different folks. Am I right? But the fact of the matter is, the better the show, in your opinion, the more work goes into it and the more your support would be appreciated. It really does make a huge difference. I mean, we all live in New York City. We all have day jobs because we have to. And the fact of the matter is, in New York City, what happens? Year by year, day by day, prices seem to go up for us at the studio, for us in our apartments, and so on and so forth. And every little cent helps. So, if you have a show that you love, or if you just want to support the station in general, go to RadioFreeBrooklyn.com slash donate and donate to the station. Or better yet, go to RFB.NYC slash NBT and donate to this show. Become a sponsor. You can donate, seriously, as little as $1 every month. Now, who the hell can't afford that? Nobody can't afford that. And it does make a huge difference, and I promise you, Every single sponsor is, in fact, loved and appreciated. And we try and show that in any way we can. That's RadioFreeBrooklyn.com slash donate. Or for this show, if you love this show, and I will say, regardless, we love you, go to RFB.NYC slash NBT and donate $20 a month, $0.05 cents a month. It doesn't matter. It's all love. All right. Now on with the show.